0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Tamar Hollerman, our Washington correspondent. Hey, Tamar, how are you?
1: Hey, good.
0: We've got some fresh poll data to talk about, so thanks for joining us.
1: Poll day, poll day, poll day. I'm so excited. It's like Christmas. It's like Christmas for political reporters. It's great.
0: It is a lot of data to go through. So let's start with a little bit of the background. So the AJC and Channel 2 Action News commissioned the University of Georgia to conduct two separate polls of likely Democratic and Republican primary voters. We only talked to folks who have voted in recent primaries and indicated they would vote in the May 22nd race. So these are some hardcore voters that have either voted in 2014 or 2016 and are going to vote in a, in a few weeks. Let's talk about the Democrats first. The biggest takeaway from the Democratic poll is about half of likely Democratic voters still haven't decided who to support next month's primary. That's a huge number roughly a month before the vote. What do you take of that, uh, Tamar?
1: So I think that means there's still a ton of room for both candidates, Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans, to to establish more name ID to identify, you know, to distinguish themselves, uh, you know, against one another. You've been seeing an uptick of ads lately trying to trying to do that already. But clearly, there's a need for both of them to do more. So I'm expecting we'll see a whole lot of, um, you know, time on the airwaves devoted to these ads. I'm expecting more canvassers to be going door to door to try and um, distinguish these two Stacys um, among primary voters. How about you?
0: Yeah um and, and you're seeing both of them are on, are on air right now both of them have tv ads um Stacy Evans has two rounds of of, of a three part sort of tv series already on the air uh, and Stacey Abrams has an introductory ad on the air um I think part of this too is Democrats in Georgia just aren't they also may not be as used to competitive primaries at least more recently than Republicans Republicans have always had very very uh you know competitive primaries. Democrats, not since 2010, have they had a really competitive primary for for a big statewide race. Think about it. Jason Carter didn't have an opponent in 2014. Um, Michelle Nunn and Jim Barksdale, the two Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate seats, basically only faced token opposition. So this is the first time in a while that that two well-known, prominent Democrats who can raise a lot of money are facing off against each other. And a lot of voters you know, it's not that necessarily they're not paying attention. Some of them aren't paying attention, but a lot of them just haven't made up their minds.
1: Exactly. And it doesn't help the fact that both of them have kind of similar backgrounds. They, they both served in the state legislature together. Both of them have the same first name. <laughs> that does not help them as they're trying to distinguish themselves from one, one another. And I know both, came, or both campaigns are going to roll their eyes and be like, they hate this narrative, Stacey versus Stacey. Um, but to a lot of voters that maybe aren't as plugged into what the legislature is doing, Um, They really do need to spend a lot more time trying to show these voters, um, here's who I am. This is how I'm different from the other, Stacey.
0: I think you're right about that. They definitely trying to distinguish themselves. I went out a few days ago and interviewed more than a dozen voters out in Newton County, which is one of the more competitive counties in Georgia. And Republicans and Democrats alike Many of them said they still haven't made up their minds. And I talked to a few Democratic voters who s- couldn't distinguish the, between the two Stacys as much as they're trying to do that. And Stacey Evans is trying to distinguish herself by saying that Stacey Abrams betrayed Democrats on the Hope Scholarship issue. Stacey Abrams is trying to run as an unabashed progressive candidate who says that her opponent's stances on guns and other progressive issues just aren't 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 are uh, satisfying enough for, to progressives.
1: I know, but the thing is when you when you look down when, and when you really kind of zero in on their their records maybe beyond something like hope, overall it's kind of similar, isn't it? It can be kind of, become kind of hard to split those hairs, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I mean, both are staunch advocates of gun control, which, which, by the way, is, is a huge shift for Democratic politicians in Georgia. I mean, just four years ago, Jason Carter ran as an NRA Democrat, and now you're having both of these candidates say that they're going to push for more gun restrictions. Both of them want to expand. Medicaid. Uh, both of them want to uh, increase HOPE awards and maybe even get free technical college tuition for applicable students. Um, so both of them have pretty progressive uh, agendas uh, and, and they're fighting all over a lot of these sort of gray areas. You know, Stacey Abrams is knocking Stacey Evans left to right for a vote that she had on a little known gun bill that that made it harder for police departments to auction off guns that they confiscated. Things like that that might not necessarily uh, you know, attract a lot of attention. Um, that's those are some of the differences they're trying to highlight right now.
1: Exactly, and and how much are our voters really going to care about a vote that happened five years ago in the legislature versus what people would do if they were elected? That'll be a huge question for for May twenty second. One question I have for you, Greg, um, going off the poll, um, of the voters that that UGA talked to who had decided who they wanted to support in this Democratic primary, a third Mm -hmm. said they'd back Stacey Abrams, while only about half of that, 15%, said they'd support Stacey Evans. Um, And especially among Black voters who make up the largest block of the Democratic electorate, um, Abrams had a huge lead, 38% to Evans' 10%. Um, So, What do you think this means for Stacey Evans? She clearly has a lot of work to do, right?
0: She does. Evans has to cut into that African-American vote in order to be a strong contender to Abrams. I mean, that's that's just a must, especially among black women. And she's scheduled meeting greets over the next few weeks uh, in, in Clayton County, in DeKalb County, and in South Fulton County, all three majority African-American areas to try to drum up some of that support. This will be key for her uh, if she if she wants to be competitive in the primary. The other interesting fact about the poll was that one quarter of white Democratic voters back each candidate, and that is huge for Abrams, because if she can cut her losses among white voters uh, who, who make up a, a much smaller percentage of the Democratic electorate per, uh, uh, primary voter electorate, then she is in really good shape. You know, if 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 we if if it's May twenty third and about the same proportion of white voters backed Abrams as Evans, then you're looking at a easily double digit win by Stacey Abrams. Exactly,
1: and and Abrams is really you know the whole focus of her campaign, right, is, is getting out these um, kind of disenfranchised primary, um, I guess, base voters, a lot of minorities who traditionally do vote Democratic, but but often it's hard to get them out. So if she's successful in, in doing that, um, it might be really hard for, for Evans to catch her, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah. And the same thing goes with, with you know, trying to galvanize that wave of energy around Donald Trump. And both these candidates are, uh, are expecting to they're hoping that uh, this blue tidal wave will come in November that will help carry them across the finish line. And so far our poll shows that, you know, that that's, even if, even if we're seeing some apathy from voters in the primary stage, that Donald Trump's approval rating among Democrats stands at a dismal 7% and nine in 10 Democrats disapprove of his performance. So that is just a, you know, a not surprising, but a pretty stark number out there uh for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you're seeing w- with some of the congressional races in Washington, you have, um, you know, you have the powers that be for the the House Democrats' campaign arm saying maybe you shouldn't campaign on Donald Trump so much, maybe focus more on issues this time. Um, but when it comes to this gubernatorial race, it, it might really help some of these candidates to to focus on on you know disapproval from Trump or of Trump.
0: Exactly. And the same thing with Congress in general. And I don't know how this will affect uh, the, the the congressional races in the 6th and 7th district. Maybe tomorrow you can opine on that. But the GOP-led Congress had an 82% disapproval rating and roughly half of Democratic voters disapproved of the Republican-led Georgia legislature. So uh, there are some very deep distrust and discontent over Republican-led institutions right now.
1: Yes, but at the same time, when you look at some of the, um, the poll numbers on this, and I think we'll get into this more when we start talking about our Republican poll, people hate Congress. People have always hated, hated Congress. But in general, people like their own representative. And that's what kind of keeps things moving at the same, um, you know, that's why nothing ever changes is because, yeah, you hate everybody else, but you keep your guy, you know, going in each time. So not much change there.
0: Hey, the other guy, I love yours. Yep. Exactly. Um, one more interesting, really interesting fact about, about the, the Democratic poll is that nearly half of Democrats approved of Governor Nathan Deal, a Republican who has led this state for seven years. His disapproval rating was just at 42%. That's a pretty high number for a longtime two-term Republican governor who, um, you know – if you ask any Democrats in 2011 and after he was elected, if, if if half of them would approve of him, they'd be shocked uh, at this number. You know, this was after a lot of very uh, contentious campaigning. This, you know, remember he refused to expand Medicaid, which was a big Democratic priority. Um, now, seven years later, he has relatively high standing among Democrats and very high standing among Republicans. He is by far the most popular figure, political figure in Georgia, 85 percent. Of Republicans give him a high approval rating and about half of Democrats. So that says a lot about uh, the the current governor's standing in Georgia.
1: Exactly. Um, And I, you know, some of it might be because, you know, he's dealing with a lot more parochial issues on on the state level that, that are less kind of traditionally partisan. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he did have a bunch of high profile vetoes um, that, that pissed off a lot of conservative Republicans <laughs> that Democrats were really okay with. Um, I mean, the religious liberty veto for, for starters, he backed, um, you know, he, he was kind of quietly backing Delta, right, in this this fight mm-hmm. with the, over the NRA and, and this jet fuel tax break. Um, so he has taken some actions that, that Democrats overall, I think, would be really happy with. On the other hand, he did get involved. Um, you know, he signed this, this campus carry bill last year, was it? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it's give and take. It is pretty amazing for a, a governor in his last year going out the door.
0: He's kind of managed to walk both lines. I think you're right about that. I mean, Democrats, if you ask a Democrat why they, they like him, they probably invoke that religious liberty veto and that first campus carry veto. He ended up signing a campus carry veto. Uh, bill the next year, but it had a lot of holes in it that the Democrats were kind of welcomed. And if you ask Republicans, they'll mention, you know, his, his favorite calling card, which is he made Georgia the number one state in the nation to do business, which is a ranking from an industry magazine, but it's been repeated over and over again and over and over again on the campaign trail by Republicans running for the office.
1: Yeah, and that, that's an issue, too, that I think a lot of Democrats. Um... You know, can get on board with the you know, especially he likes to talk a lot about the the movie industry um, and and kind of Hollywood coming in wanting to shoot TV shows and and movies in Georgia. I think that's something that that can get Democrats excited as well.
0: Yeah, um, let's talk about guns because this is this is maybe the most surprising part of the entire poll uh, that both the polls. Um, this is not this. This is the first part. not the really surprising part. Roughly ninety percent of Democrats want stricter regulations for the sale of firearms. That's kind of a you know, no duh. But. The surprising part is that about 45% of likely Republican voters also want stricter rules covering the sale of firearms, and 46% want those rules to stay the same. Only 7% of Republicans want to loosen gun regulations to make it easier to buy firearms. I was kind of floored by, by this. Uh, it showed to me that you know a broad majority of, of, of Georgia primary voters want significant changes and new restrictions when it comes to selling guns. Do you, do you see the ground sh- starting to shift here tomorrow or, or is this more of a, you know, a, a, a flash in the pan?
1: I think it's more of a flash in the pan. Um, you did see Congress last month make the first changes to gun laws um, in more or in about 10 years um, after the Parkland shooting, so that was that was a huge deal. Um, you know, we saw after mass shootings at um, you know in in Connecticut at that elementary school, um, at Virginia Tech, places all around the country. You know, all these tragedies happened. Congress did nothing, but but it felt like after Parkland, um, there there really was a lot of pressure for for Congress to act. Um, but this is also Congress; they're really good at you know, wanting to diffuse tension, doing the minimal amount of work, and then just dropping it and, and walking away. Um, so last month, they they passed this this big spending bill. And in it included some really they were modest changes, but they were changes to the nation's gun laws. Um, it included things like more school, uh, more grants for school safety initiatives, things like buying metal detectors and cameras, hiring guards. Um, there was some language clarifying that the CDC could do gun research. Um, you had another provision that that would allow more coordination. Um, for federal agencies, for the national instant background check system. Those changes are are small. It's not the same as an assault weapons ban or expanded background checks, any of the things that the Democrats want. But I'm not expecting anything beyond this from from Congress. It's just too divisive. Um, And yes, you mentioned how 7% of respondents want to loosen gun regulations among Republicans, but also 46% who want rules to stay the same. I think that's a critical statistic, and I think that means that as long as Republicans are in charge, we're not going to see any major movement on on Capitol Hill.
0: And the rhetoric from Republican candidates for governor and state offices does not match this poll at all. I mean, if anything, we're seeing the other side of it. We are every Republican candidate is is calling for uh, uh you know, more gun rights expansions. Casey Cagle got the NRA's endorsement after that standoff with Delta and his vow to kill any tax break that would, that would help Delta uh, when, when Delta cut its business ties with the NRA. So you have got Casey Cagle with the NRA's endorsement pledging for more gun rights. You've got, we've got Brian Kemp touting the fact that Bob Barra, an NRA board member, is backing his campaign. And you've got other candidates assailing Hunter Hill, a former state senator, because at a forum earlier this year, he told me that he would consider backing, raising the minimum age for buying assault weapons from 18 to 21. Hill quickly backtracked on that issue. But Clay Tippins, another candidate for governor, ran an ad accusing Hill who is a military veteran, of being a Benedict Arnold, being a traitor on pro-Second Amendment issues because of this stance. So r- Republican rhetoric on this issue continues to be very much pro-gun rights expansions.
1: And I think what you see with Republican politics is that you know gun rights may not be at the top of everybody's list in terms of issues they care about, but for those that is their top issue. It is, it is very much their top issue. Um, and so I think you see that, especially in the lead up to these primaries, wanting to get the, the gun rights supporters on board. So I'm not expecting any major movement, definitely not on Capitol Hill. I'm, I'm assuming you're seeing the same on the ground in Georgia for the, the gubernatorial race as well.
0: Exactly. And as much as Democrats still hate the NRA, I mean, about 9 in 10 Democrats gave an unfavorable review. Our poll showed that the NRA still has sizable clout among Georgia Republicans. It means about 73% of likely GOP voters gave the pro-gun lobby a favorable rating. So their endorsement still carries a lot of weight. And by the way, I should say, the NRA not only endorsed Casey Cagle, but also David Schaefer, a state senator who's running for lieutenant governor. So expect to hear a lot more about the NRA endorsement in that race as well, even as Democrats are racing, uh, feuding with each other about just how much they hate the NRA. Um, Stacey Abrams got an F rating from the NRA, which she likes to joke is the only F that her parents ever applauded her for. She says her opponent, Stacey Evans, you know, briefly had a, a D and a, even a B rating at one point, Uh, before that rating sucked back down to a D. And so at every chance she gets, she reminds voters that Stacey Evans might have a little bit more of a pro-gun stance than Stacey Abrams.
1: So, Greg, you mentioned Casey Cagle earlier, and I'm dying to ask you about all of this. Um, Some of the biggest uh, news from this poll, um, the Republican race for governor. We have five major Republican candidates, and the polling we've seen over the last few months has put Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle up with a sizable lead um, over his opponents. But the big question is whether there's any chance he can get to 50% plus one to avoid a July runoff. What is the poll telling you?
0: Yeah, he's at 41% of the vote. So that mirrors a lot of other, the other internal and public polls we've seen that show him in the high 30s, low 40s. There are about 33% of voters in the Republican race who are still undecided. So there's still room to maneuver and for his opponents to maneuver. Cagle says publicly that he doesn't think there's any chance that he can get to that 50% plus one mark to avoid a July runoff. But privately, his campaign aides still think there's an outside shot at it. And with $4.5 billion plus in advertising already planned for the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of kegel on the airwaves, not just in metro Atlanta, but all over in every major and even media market in in Georgia, his canvases are out. His get out the vote machine is out. I joined him on a two week bus tour for 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 a couple stops. Um, that bus tour continues all next week. So he is he is trying to mobilize his voters for this crucial early voting period that starts Monday. Um, but you know there is a very tight race for the second spot, and some of these candidates have a lot of money behind them as well. Not as much as Cagle, but a lot of money. Uh, Our poll showed that Secretary of State Brian Kemp has 10% of the vote, and Hunter Hill, who we mentioned earlier, has 9%. So they're basically in a statistical tie. The two other candidates, Tippins, the businessman, and State Senator Michael Williams, are lagging way behind. Our poll showed Tippins at 4%, Williams at 3%. They're both just kind of scrambling to get some media, earn media attention, and get some traction from voters. I mean, Tippins might be best known for his attention-grabbing ads. He had a Super Bowl ad that showed him swimming. It reminded people that he was a military veteran and a a former swimmer and depicted lookalikes of Casey Cagle and Brian Kemp in embarrassing positions. He also, of course, called Hunter Hill Benedict Arnold. And Williams has staked his entire campaign on a series of basically attention-grabbing publicity stunts. Uh, And and, uh, he's tried to remind voters at every turn that he was the first – Georgia statewide elected or state elected official to back Donald Trump. Um, so far, that plea has not really gotten him anywhere with just three percent of the vote.
1: So talk to me about this race for the, the number two spot in, in this potential runoff, right? You have Secretary of State Brian Kemp, you have uh, former state Senator Hunter Hill. They're, they're more or less at about the same spot in our in our poll. Are you surprised by that at all? And, and talk to me about kind of the the political ground that they're trying to stake out to get them to number two.
0: Yeah, Kip should have the advantage here, right? I mean, he's a statewide elected official twice. He was first elected to the Secretary of State in 2010 and re-elected by a big margin in fourteen. So he should have the the inboard you know, inherent advantage here. Um, he's kind of made his campaign all about uh, kind of Trump. He's he's he's, he's professed a, a Georgia first sort of message, just like Trump had the America first message. But it's also been about illegal immigration crackdowns on gangs, you know, some of the law and order stuff that I think he hopes will resonate with Republican voters. Um, And at the same time, uh, he made a lot of news by pledging after Mississippi uh, adopted its toughest at the nation abortion restrictions. He said that Georgia will outdo Mississippi on his watch, uh, which got a lot of attention. And you know, it forced other Republicans to say, eh, we're not willing to go that far. Casey Cagle among them. Casey Cagle said Georgia's adoption, uh, abortion restrictions are fine just the way they are, and he's not willing to, to push for even more stringent ones. Hunter Hill is reminding folks at every turn that he is a military veteran with several combat tours of duty under his bill. At the same time, he is really basing his campaign on fiscal conservatism. He is pledging to significantly cut the amount of money that the state spends on everything except for core services like transportation, education. And he's also pledged to eliminate the state income tax, which his opponents say is just not going to happen. It's just not feasible. There's no way to make up that revenue. He says there is with calculated spending reductions on, thing, on, on projects and programs he, he thinks are unnecessary for the state to fund. So he wants to just focus purely on transportation and education, on core services, and drop the rest. And, you know, most of his opponents, this poll might show him in a deadlock with, with, with uh, Brian Kemp, but most of his opponents see him as the, num- as the leading candidate for the number two spot, and they've all been attacking him relentlessly, mostly over that gun issue I mentioned earlier
1: yeah, you're starting to see him pop up, uh, you know, kind of caricatures of him in, in all these ads. It shows people are, you know, he's, he's on people's mind. Um, another statistic from this poll that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, you have five men leading candidates, uh, leading Republican candidates for governor. But you have about 40 percent of women Republican primary voters who haven't picked a candidate yet. What does all of that say to you right now?
0: It says to me that no candidate has been able to kind of soften their, their, their personal image enough. And I've heard this from some of the campaigns too. They've, they've been wondering about how to appeal more to women as well, because they're all trying to outdo each other on policy issues and crackdowns and immigration and, and, and you know, other cultural issues. But at the same time, you haven't heard too much from uh, candidates other than Cagle about their personal backgrounds. Right. Um, Clay Tippins mentioned, reminded folks he's a military veteran and a swimmer, but most of his, his attacks have been on the other candidates. Uh, so I, I'd expect to see Hunter Hill and Brian Kemp especially start emphasizing their their backgrounds and their upbringings and their business experience in a way that will appeal to, to voters outside the sort of core con- conservative voters who vote on policy to, to, you know, to give people an idea of their personalities as well. Uh, and I think that's where you might see uh, uh, Brian Kemp really try to seize the initiative over the next few weeks
1: yeah, it's it's interesting. It really does seem like the Republican side of the race, even though it's a lot more chaotic, a ton more candidates, it does see, you know, despite the forty percent of Republican. Female primary voters not having a, a candidate yet, the race still feels a lot more settled than than on the Democratic side.
0: It does, and that's partly because of Casey Cagle. I mean, the fact that he became uh, such a, a a big money leader. I mean, he's raised more than seven million dollars more, which is by now, which is a lot. You know, which is more than several of his opponents combined, and that helps. He's he's the Capitol crowds favorite. Every other candidate has long since acknowledged that he's the front runner. And so that also helps sort of bake into the minds of many voters who might be divided over several different candidates that, okay, this guy is the runner. Voters tend to like to back a favorite. Uh, So so that helps him, too. And over the next few weeks, we'll see if that helps him get across that finish line or if he'll be in a, a nine week runoff. So we've got a nine week runoff if he doesn't make it against probably Kemp or Hill.
1: One last question for you. Um, kind of, you know, related, but but not quite to this this poll. I'm wondering if you have a good sense of, of how this Delta NRA flap in, in the last few weeks of the legislative session, how that has impacted um, the way people view these Republican candidates. Has it helped Casey Cagle at all because he was the, the leader, um, you know, kind of beating the drum against Delta and yeah. all this?
0: I think, I mean, Cagle, you know, through a political lens, was in a bind over this because he couldn't he couldn't take a softer stance on this because he'd be painted as soft on guns by all his opponents. Um, the fact that he made that decision to to vow to kill a tax break for Delta um, if if Delta didn't reverse its position on the NRA helped him gain a ton of uh, media exposure. Didn't really help him fundraising because because they were in the session at the time, so he couldn't raise money anyway. But it also showed how important the NRA endorsement still is among Georgia Republicans. Remember, again, about three in four of likely GOP voters gave the pro gun group a favorable rating, so it still carries tremendous clout.
1: Yeah, and uh, but but couldn't this create more problems for him down the line in case he he does win this gubernatorial race? Delta is is one of the biggest employers in the state. I believe the biggest private employer.
0: Private employer. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a question like of short term, short term gain over long term pain, and it's certainly an issue that any either Stacey Abrams or Stacey Evans will look to exploit. And we did a, an analysis not long ago, a few weeks ago, that showed a number of business leaders. You know, these are these are sort of sometimes conservative leaning business leaders who who donated to Governor Deal and to and to, and to Sunny Purdue before him who are donating to Stacey Evans or Stacey Abrams now as a, as a sort of pointed rebuke at Casey Cagle and other Republicans, because they worry that, that that's, you know, if, if, if other companies see that's how we treat our our state's largest private employer, that they might not want to come to Georgia.
1: Exactly. But, but uh, you know, in the the short term, Delta's pretty locked into Atlanta, isn't it? They, they signed something like a 10 or a 20-year contract, you know, they're going to be at Hartsfield-Jackson.
0: Yeah, Delta's not going anywhere, but they worry, um, again, about of other companies that might be looking into Georgia, including, and this is the biggest one, Amazon, which is looking to put 50,000 jobs in a second headquarters in one of 20 locations And one, one of the cities they just scouted was right here in metro Atlanta. Well, Tamar, thank you again for joining us. I had a blast talking with you about all this nerdy political data. Thanks for having me. And now we go to the lightning round. Governor Deal is under intense pressure to veto a pair of bills. The first would cannibalize a part of Stockbridge to create a new city of Eagle's Landing. Critics say this will cause a dangerous precedent and hurt Georgia's bond ratings. The second is a bill that would create a new crime of unauthorized computer access. Several big tech companies, including Microsoft and Google, worry that that will prevent folks with good intentions from trying to highlight security risks and help shore up websites. The Democratic race is getting nastier. The first TV debate last week featured clashes over hope, guns, and and ethics complaints. And yet another new ethics complaint was filed just a few days ago against Stacey Abrams, claiming her book tour relied inappropriately on her campaign resources. For those stories and much, much more, visit politicallygeorgia.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Bluestein, and at AJC on Washington. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. Thank you, as always, for listening.
1: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements